So we're here today to talk about enterprise software with two leading investors in it. But really, I want to talk about changes and what you're seeing that's different than if we were here two or three years ago. So let's just start off with the softest softball I could ever come up with. <laughs> um, what's the biggest change, David and Jason, that you guys have seen enterprise investing over the last year or two? Jason, you want to go? For, I mean, that there's 100 unicorns. Um, and when Mark's sister and I were CEOs and SaaS CEOs back in the day, we didn't know, even know anybody except Salesforce that was doing more than like 10 or 20 million. <laughs> there was like WebEx and Salesforce. And now there's a hundred, like there's unicorns being minted weekly that we can read about on Recode and Strictly VC, and it's jaw-dropping, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's because there's over a hundred billion dollars a year being spent on SaaS tools. And two to three years ago it was 40 million, and 10 years ago it was 20 billion, or sorry, billion. And so it's just endless unicorns. You can't even keep up, can you, with unicorns? I mean, you can keep you up. Track them? We, we are you able track to track them. all the yeah, unicorns? Yeah, we track things a lot earlier than that, but yeah, it is uh, stunning. Uh, well, it's a big secular trend that people have been talking about forever. And you, when you think about the numbers, it's a lot different than when you feel them. And we're you know, midway through this trend of trillions of dollars moving to the cloud. And that's, that's a gift that keeps giving. Do you guys feel like the dynamics of, invest of, of the competitiveness have just transformed over the last two, year or two? Or like, are you guys floored by the amounts of random people who suddenly have a VC fund, who suddenly want to compete with you for a deal. I'm not floored by it, to be honest. It's, it's, it's vastly more competitive than uh, three years ago, vastly. Like, it's, we've changed our business system. You know, we used to be, you know, you know, much less outbound. Like, now we really have people calling uh, all of these companies to get data that we can't get. Uh, available in the public. We uh, show up with thoughtful packs on the, the company, their competitors, and we may have worked three weeks on something and an entrepreneur may not even have the interest or time to read it. So before we would have just walked in and right. gotten a meeting. That's and literally three years. Three years ago, you feel like you could just walk in. We say, were just Hi, I'm Dave in. with Capital G. People take the meeting. That's all. Boom. Jason, on, on the on the early stage end yeah. of the spectrum, like, I imagine it's even more overwhelming? Um, well, first of all, I mean, the three of us were talking about in our prep call, Dave and I are very pro-founder investors, and it's great for founders. Like, all, there is an almost no, there's a little bit of downside we could chat about, but when I raised, when I used, for 24 months, I worked at someone else's venture fund, and then I raised my own fund in 2016. In 2016, people thought I couldn't raise my own fund, that it was goofy. This is less than four years ago. They're like, Jason, like, Sasser's cool, you made a few good, but you'll never be able to raise your own fund. Shai Goldman from SVB tracks what are micro VCs, which are 200 million and under. Right. There have been almost 1,000 raised. <laughs> Since I raised my first fund in 2016, and the other thing that changed in 2016, when I raised, like, even in 2015, 2016, not everyone really wanted to do enterprise. Like, it was niche, the consumer was cool, and now 99.8% of venture funds do enterprise and cloud, right? I mean, you may know somebody, but even the Tigers and the everything, they've done a huge rotation in enterprise. So that's from, like, rare to 1,000 seed funds, and, like, 20% doing enterprise to 100% like five years. It's a lot of change, isn't it? And it's a lot of competition, but good for founders. Yeah, I feel like that element of it, the fashion-oriented nature of theoretically long-term investors is very surprising to me. What do you mean? So you have 
a public market that's you know doubled the the multiples on enterprise SaaS, and you know hard to know where that shakes out long term, but we're certainly at the historical high end of that. And you have people who are going into making investments for five years based on that multiple. So folks just show up because they see they see money. That's right? where the money is. Right. And you know the consumer stuff. You know, people are nervous about, you know, maybe it's WeWork, maybe it's something else. All of a sudden it becomes unfashionable. And these people are literally going to be locked up in illiquid securities for five years. Are very, it's actually hard to not be influenced by the yeah. red and, you know, and green on the ticker. You, you mentioned sort of the trouble with consumers and IPO and WeWork. Do you guys see that as, as do you guys see the freak out over consumer? IPOs as good for enterprise or bad? I mean, you could argue on the one hand, you know, if there's a burning building over there, let's run to the safe house of enterprise. On the other hand, you could argue, you know, all tech looks bad, let's run away from this entire sector. Like, do you guys feel like there's a comparative advantage in enterprise right now because of the consumer troubles and there's a little bit of a zero sum game in terms of where the dollars go? Well, you know, one of my favorite seed investors, one, one of my mentors said, you know, I put my associate on enterprise because it's easier. You put what? what was that? <laughs> I put my associate on enterprise because it's easier. Oh, okay. Trying to figure out if Uber and Pinterest earlier are going to break out, then a company in a millionaire are growing 25% a month. Like the, the second one's just like a little bit easier. Right. So uh, I think it, it, there's sort of this compounding effect, which is as more money goes into enterprise, everyone wants to do the breakout deals. Like it's not like some people are betting whether Uber or Lyft, like as soon as you hit a number, um, boom, like all the money, as soon as you cross into that top decile, there is just infinite supply like in one day. Yeah. Right, everyone gets it. Like there's, I mean, there's hard parts of cloud, there's hard parts of infrastructure. Right. But if you're doing a traditional B2B app, I mean, any, anyone in this room could, uh, you don't need to be as talented as this room to, to see the winners, right? It's pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, have you guys noticed over the last six months any, like let's, let's take the seminal moment of recent VC investing history of the WeWork collapse of, what was it, September. I mean, ha have you noticed suddenly your peers who, you know, in, in August 2019 might have been all about consumer who suddenly are like, David, Jason, what's the latest hot enterprise deal you have? I'm trying to run away from this burning building. I mean, I, I think your original question was whether it's bad for the entrepreneurs and I think, or good. And I think neither that much really on balance. They were able to get capital six months ago, two years ago, they can get capital today. Right. As much capital as they need, more capital than they need. Right. And you know, that's the only downside of it is that there's kind of a, you know, a little bit of tension to take a little bit more capital than you need because your competitors are taking more capital than you need and to grow faster than is really manageable. And that, that is not great in the sense that if you triple your sales, you're tripling your sales force, yeah. typically, in enterprise SaaS. And tripling your sales force is a lot of interviews. And if you don't do all those interviews and you don't manage the people as carefully, then you end up you know, having to take a step back. And step back, stepping back as a company is actually a really, really hard thing to do. Yeah. How much sleep do you guys, do you guys lose at night over this idea that your companies might be overfunded. I mean, to a certain extent, I know you obviously are only one person on a board, or maybe you're not even on the board, and you're not the CEO, but I, I hear this lament all the time of, you know, damn, my companies are overfunded, but like, no one really seems to do anything about it? Or do you feel like you can do anything about it? 
I empathize with the entrepreneurs because they're in a tough spot. If you are trying to build a category winner, and really that's where, what, you're, what you're trying to do, then uh, your competitor and your competitor is spending twice as much as you. They're getting twice the mind share at conferences. They're taking the bigger room. They have way more salespeople calling. It's a, you know, you're in a prisoner's dilemma. And so I empathize with that. I also, you know, I think people are waking up when they become unicorns and they see they own like three to 5% of their company. Mm. And we're seeing that all the time and trying to replay that back. I mean, there are adverse consequences. So trying to let founders know in advance, yeah, you know, it sounds great and you get a great press release when you raise $400 million, but that money's coming out of your bank account at the other end? Is that yeah, I think people are relatively thoughtful about these things at each step. Yeah. So I don't feel like people are really, that I'm working with, are so focused on the press release, but they don't really play out the math because it's, you know, they're making decisions, you know, correctly in the moment. Right. Jason, how, how concerned are you about this? About overfunding? Yeah. Um, you know, on the one hand, um, I used to, when I started, I've only really been investing since 2014, and I would watch these consumer VCs talk about how all their portfolio companies were overfunded, and I'd be like, I don't know anyone. I only invest in first-time founders. They're all underfunded. So uh, it took a while. There's no question that overfunding, especially multi-billion dollar funds doing A rounds, uh, is very damaging, in my opinion, to SaaS companies, enterprises. It's very damaging. Putting 30 or 40 million into a company that should only absorb 8 to 10, you end up hiring Mr. Dashboards who comes in from a unicorn. You end up hiring someone from a Twilio or a Google way too early, and he or she brings in 30 reps in a week, and those 30 reps close less than the three reps you had before she started. I see this 100% of the time when you're overfunded. Because you don't overfund and leave the money in the bank, all of a sudden Mr. and Mrs. Dashboards is hired, right? And that's destructive. That is destructive. But if you sequence it right, it's a gift because you know, look at Shopify. Shopify IPO'd in 2015, it was worth a billion. Today it's worth 40 billion, right? Um, HubSpot IPO'd at 800 million. Today it's 8 billion. This is just a few years. So if you, like, you're, we're not building unicorns. We thought we were building unicorns in SaaS. We're all building decacorns. So you're, if you're going to build a decacorn, you can consume a billion dollars of private capital on the way to a $10 billion exit. We still own a lot. <laughs> Do you think it's been a paradigm shift? The idea that, like, everyone obviously talked about building a billion dollar company. Yes. That no longer cuts it. Everyone's building a deck of corner bigger. No one's talking about, I want a billion dollar exit. I don't, you, you, no one's looking for that. They're looking at Zoom, they're looking. And it used to be out, like people used to say, oh, Salesforce is an outlier. And, and, and then they would say, well, Workday is an outlier, but we're not Dave Duffield, we haven't done it before. And you're like, well, hold on, there's Zendesk, like there's, right. there's HubSpot, there's all, there's like, there's, there's 40 of these companies, there's Zoom, there's Slack. And like now yeah. we're realizing every quarter an outlier is being born. And every quarter an outlier being born means LPs in this room should be putting more money. Yeah. <laughs> like there's risk, but it's like we're building these decacorns like machines in enterprise and cloud. And there's, there's reasons because there's 100 billion going into SaaS, but um, it's a machine now. Yeah, have, have any of your guys' assumptions changed about what's possible in enterprise outcomes? I mean, the thinking for a long time was that, you know, this is a lot of singles and doubles. Like, I mean, maybe Zoom is a good example of a company that just totally blew it out of the park. I mean, do you guys think about the possible outcomes here? Has there been a paradigm shift in how you think about uh, a possible enterprise outcome in 2020? I mean, the growth rates of the companies are not changing. It's just the multiples changing. Right. So yeah, if, you, if your multiple triples and your company triples, you're going to get a 10x. But 
um, you know, fundamentally, without that multiple, it would have been a 3x. But, you know, these are great businesses. They are somewhat, uh, the bet that you're making is how long is the sustained, how long is the growth rate going to sustain? And that's, a, you know, kind of, that's why you want to be in a winner and you need to be in a category that's a new category that's growing. And the dispersion of outcomes in venture is, is actually pretty high. Like, there's obviously a concentration as uh, venture firms will perform relative to the market performance. Right. But the best top quartile funds are consistently the top quartile funds, or relatively consistently, and there's quite a big difference from the top quartile to the average. So it makes being in the game actually still fun because you think, okay, if, you know, kind of, I can outperform the market meaningfully. Right. And that's what you're playing for. And, you know, I, I think but it's... But you, you guys obviously don't set the multiples despite all of VC's great powers. I mean, you guys, are you guys are playing the game as it is, and if the multiple for enterprise companies is rational, irrational, whatever, yes. like maybe there are home runs. I think, you know, the, like being more, I'm more operational, so to peeling the, a layer back on your point, not only are we birthing decacorns in enterprise regularly, but all the ones that have been around a while are at or past a billion in ARR. A billion in error. Zoom's just about there. Slack's coming up. HubSpot's almost there. Zendesk. We can make a long list, and we can just go in the in in the Bessemer Cloud 100. We can just pick who's everyone's on one side. Twilio's past a billion. Yeah. Right. It's like clockwork. And what we learned. So so what's changed is we used to think, oh my God, when are we going to decelerate? Like how could we even get a hundred million dollar? Like it's so much, so many buyers to build. Like a hundred million dollar business even four or five years ago seemed very hard to build. Now we're seeing that there's so much growth on the way to a billion in revenue. And if you can build a billion dollar in revenue company growing 40% a year, like, all, as crazy as it sounds, all these, unit, these $1 billion pre's make sense if you find that company that gets to a billion in revenue growing 100. So we just, that's a total change when over 100 billion of corporate IT spend went into SaaS. Like that's just the goal, the goal billion post. dollar run rates, billion dollar run rates left and right. And the truth is none of us saw this three or four years ago, right? right? Uh, that, that we would routinely get to a billion in software revenue, like all the time. It's, it's nuts, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe not. I mean, Maybe Google knew. No, I, Google knew a billion was just a was just first base everything. on the way to building a trillion dollar company. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's been good. What can I say? It's definitely been good. It's been an amazing uh, time to be a growth investor. I remember in 2013 listening to Bill Gurley and uh, uh, Lafont, Pierre Lafont, and, and they were like, the market is overfunded. Any, all these growth investors are crazy. I was like, wow, we're just starting out. Right, right. Maybe I'm crazy, you know. And it's been a six-year bull market. Right. I want to ask about uh, sort of the impressions of, of obviously the Silicon Valley's most controversial investor, SoftBank. Um, over the last six months, a lot of people in my industry have sort of been consumed by. It seems like the daily news of a layoff, of mass layoffs at some company, and I'm curious how it's affecting VCs who have to work with them. Do you guys have any pause, any new pause, if you had a CEO come to you with a term sheet from SoftBank that you didn't have six months ago? Uh, I only have one company I've invested in that's worked with SoftBank. But in the, in the future, yeah, now, yeah. now that you know what you've known over the last couple of years, do you have any, is there any new kind of pause you feel like you'd have? Uh, I think that... Um, I think in enterprise, maybe some of this drama is overstated. Um, once you start 
approaching 50, 60 million in ARR. Everyone knows you. All the late stage investors know you. I mean, yeah, Google and Capital G built a database and software program has it, but everyone's got an army of analysts. And it's not that hard to figure out who's at 50. And so all the potential unicorn investors, the, 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 you'll know them. It's not as crazy as it was before. And you'll have 30 to 40 relationships as you approach that round. And whether it's SoftBank or someone else, you'll know. And, and, and it's, this isn't Casper. There's no excuse to run out of money in enterprise. Like, you know, you, you, it's so predictable. If you have 140% revenue retention and you need this amount of headcount, like, there's no excuse for, for running on fumes. So I, I, I think there's more time to get to know them. And I think the shenanigans should be, should be fewer. Maybe your experience is different. I mean, David, you, have this, you, you obviously have companies all the time that are going to be probably, at least everyone's considering a soft bank offer at some point if you're at a certain level of success. Has your, has your opinion of them or changed at all? I don't think it's changed that much, but it's, I'm always wary of people or any investor that's offering the company more money than the company is asking for. Double, triple, five times, ten times more than That's when asking. bad behavior has to slip in. Yeah, so it that, just, it just has that's something you caution your CEOs. You're, you care a lot about the quality of the individual. And so it's not the firm that's necessarily the guiding thing, but the individual. Their clout within the firm, like can they get things done, the predictability. And for some deals that I've seen, you know, kind of, some firms are more less predictable than others. And SoftBank at times has been less predictable than others, and that's a negative for them. Sure. But one thing is like just, Let's give SoftBank, as, as founders ourselves and entrepreneurs, let's give them a huge round of credit. They, they leaned in. They went crazy. They're like, we're, there's going to be multiple hundred billion dollar plus outcomes. The internet's crazy. Like, look at these companies like the Stripes. And, the, and they, not that they got into all the Ubers I never and like, really thought it was so crazy what they were doing. Yeah, they're like, we're going to get a big position in hundred plus billion dollar outcomes. And if Uber had just been a hundred dollar outcome instead of 40, that, that, that alone probably would have made it all. It's a good, thoughtful bet. And it's... Yeah, it's kind of badass, but it's, it's cool. It's, it's au courant. It's what you should be doing in the 10th year of a bull run. So, yeah, there's a few bumps. <laughs> or maybe but not. But I like it. You've got to respect the audacity of what they've done. It's, it's, it's logical. And you don't, wanna, if you're, you don't want to screw around, right? If, you, you, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you're running, what's the, sorry, what's the CEO's name? I should, I should know how to pronounce Masa. it. Masa. Yeah, he doesn't want to make a million dollars. How much does he have to make to move the needle? Like, uh, it's the only playbook that works, billion. right? Yeah, 100 billion <laughs> barely, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that if you're raising capital at 7% and you can make 10%, then that's great. Right. And so I think it's perfectly rational from their standpoint. And yeah, the, the question is more just on a company by company basis, what's best for them. And I think in consumer, there is a real advantage to capital and enterprise that's a little bit more limited. Uh, one question uh, just specific to Capital G and sort of what you, so obviously you guys are part of Google. There's this broader conversation about power of big tech, power of Google. I'm just curious if that changes your job at all. I know you guys are focused on financial returns, but just the conversation of everyone sort of reconsidering what is Google, what is Capital G, does that come up with entrepreneurs or are you able to tune that out and just focus on like a deal by deal basis? I mean, I frame what we're doing with entrepreneurs in the first two minutes of every conversation, just so there's no ambiguity. Um, we're funded by Alphabet. We actually have little to no relationship with Google other than what Sorry, we yeah, want. Sure. Yeah, um, we're uh, you know kind of literally only measured for profit. There's no strategic vetting of anything we're doing, um, and. Uh, 
you know, kind of our compensation, because we were only paid really as from Kerry, is totally aligned with their success. And so people then say, well, what's the upside of, you know, they're kind of more focused on the upside. And I tell them, we've literally had 2,000 Googlers working with portfolio companies over the last uh, seven years. Right. You know, 700 portfolio company uh, employees have gone through Google's machine learning training. And you just start listing, like, we can, you know, kind of help you with security audits and, you know, kind of marketing analytics and stuff that is very hard to do for a subscale company. And people are. Yeah, but is there like a suspicion? You know, I, I, the, 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 re, I, the reason I'm assuming you have to sort of tell them that message at the beginning is people, there's a misunderstanding, right? Misunderstanding. Right. I think that. Uh, I don't think that there's a misunderstanding as much as, um, you know, how would you know? Sure. Um, it's called so Capital. The, yeah, I mean, it used to be called Google. Yeah, Capital. we are affiliated with Alphabet. Right. So how would you know? So I want to be really clear. But then people that we're talking to are pretty sophisticated. Yeah. And we've done 43 deals. You know, there's a lot of people to reference check. Sure. And in the end, that's our business. I just wondered whether or not, the same way that obviously there's sort of new scrutiny on acquisitions, right, by what, not just Google, frankly, Facebook or Apple or, uh, or Amazon. I wonder if there's, maybe if you ever expect new scrutiny of like minority investments by Capital G at some point, or, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens, obviously, with kind of regulation efforts in the future, but I wonder, do you expect people to start poking around on like minority deals, or do you think we're far away from that? Anything's possible. We haven't felt anything like that. Gotcha. And lastly, I thought it'd be fun just to end with a rant. Um, Jason? What's a rant? What's a rant? Um, I cheated, and yeah. I, pulled, I pulled a question off of Quora, um, where you are a... I've answered a few. You've answered a few. Uh, I feel like all over... I don't know if you've uh, Googled yourself recently, but yeah. there's a lot of Quora. All right. Well, you've got to uh, hack the algorithms when you can, right? They, they, they yeah. did it. Um, I'll just ask the question that you were asked. How arrogant are VCs in 2020? Yeah, I wrote less arrogant, right? Less arrogant than they were in the past. I, I do think, um, first of all, I think that, um, not all. There are so, the other thing that's changed the last couple of years is there's so many more operators and CEOs that are investing, right? And I, most remain conflicted about venture. Most remain conflicted. Most, there's the classic saying that I hate all VCs except the ones on my board, and there, it remains true in 2020. There's a lot of conflict. All VCs are terrible except those except that, the ones, that are here. And, and often the truth is, except my seed VC. Sometimes... I um, love your seed VC. Yeah, sometimes the, the B and C, like the B and C think that the founders love them, and then when I ask if they want to go on stage at SAS, they're like, no. Like, I don't want to go on stage with my V, like almost always, actually. Um, but I think this competition is, first we went founder friendly, um, and that was, that was much better than, than founder condescending, and it was better economically. But I do think that constant competition means that VCs have to do media, they have to do podcasts, they have to get on stage, they have to hustle in a way that when I was young, they never hustled. They never hustled, and that hustle's good. It's good, and it, it takes a little bit of that edge off. So uh, I don't know how to, you know, there is inherently this like paternalistic relationship in board meetings that I still hate as a, like I hate that talking down element. Have you thought about this? Yes, we're at 40 million, we've thought about it. Thank you, thank you, Bill. We have, we have, have you thought about adding this feature a hundred friggin' times? 
you know, of course. So that, that part I hate, but it's, I think it is better. Um, I mean, because for a long time there was this idea of the VC worship that, you know, these were the successful entrepreneurs and they were old. That has passed. That's a good thing. Yeah, the, right. uh, the, idol, the idolation of the VC. Right, yeah. so you think the market dynamics mean yeah. that VCs... Now it's like, I'll see you on Monday for your slot for my $3 million seed round. Right. Yeah, but like the, the, mar the, mar the market dynamics make it so that VCs can't be arrogant anymore, right? I mean, if, if, you, if you went out there and you were... I other, the other thing I wrote, the fun thing, year 11 of the bull run, is, is now we, we know. Like, there are folks here that are winners. There are folks here sitting on 10x funds. If there are smaller funds, there are folks sitting here on 20x funds. They can't pretend anymore. Like, the, the, the growth of the cloud and the internet has really created very divergent results. And we know who's a pretender and who's put up the decacorns. And so the, the hubris in between, I think, has, has faded a bit. Gotcha. All right. Take it from there. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah.